0: If you have a Bible, though, go ahead and take it and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, as we continue our study in the book of Luke. If you have uh, not been with us on a Sunday or not been with us on a Sunday in a long time, we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is the account of the life of Jesus as recorded by Luke. Luke was a companion of Paul and was also a pretty good historian. He gathered a lot of different information and compiled this narrative of the life of Jesus that we have before us. And so we've been walking through this study since December with some breaks in between. And we've been looking at, at chapters 1 and 2 and there's this back and forth account between, uh, between the births and infancies of two cousins, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus. And we've seen some parallels, but throughout these parallels, what we've really seen is that that Jesus is always superior. Jesus um, trumps John the Baptist in in all the different ways, not to take anything away from who John was, but to say that Jesus is greater. And so we've been kind of walking through that. And two weeks ago, we introduced uh, four very ordinary people who were extraordinarily faithful. And we saw that the truth that faithfulness in the everyday is blessed by God. That's what we saw a couple weeks ago. And so I want to reintroduce these characters to you that we looked at in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. First, we see, if you want to bring these back into your mind, we see this young couple, Mary and Joseph. And they have a little baby who is now just a little over a month old and they have traveled to Jerusalem uh, to dedicate their child and for uh, to offer sacrifices for purification. And so we have Mary and, and Joseph, and there also in Jerusalem is a man named Simeon. Simeon who's just a common, everyday sort of guy there in Jerusalem, but who was uncommonly devoted and uniquely blessed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, so much so that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon, he said, you will not die until you see The Messiah, the Lord's Christ, until you see the one who is promised to come and to deliver Israel. So we have Mary and Joseph, this common couple, and and Simeon, this sort of everyday guy who is certainly and specifically blessed by the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth character is Anna, Anna, who is an aging widow who subsequent to the death of her husband after only seven years of marriage went to the temple and served the Lord, worshiping him through fasting and prayer, the text says, and worshiping God there in the temple for the remainder of her life. And it's been at least 84 years now that she's been alive, possibly 84 years in the temple, um, because she is elderly at this point. So there's our characters, Mary, Joseph, Simeon. And Anna, and of course at the center is, is Jesus. And on this God-ordained day here in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38, the lives of all these ordinary people intersect, and they come to see the extraordinary nature of the child that they are all surrounding. They come to see that this baby, who's just a month old, if you can think about a month old baby, if you can't think about one, there's, there's one in our nursery that's even a little bit younger than that, but a month old baby, they come, and, and see that this baby is going to fulfill everything that they have been longing for. This baby is going to swing wide the door of salvation. He's going to come with a sword that will divide, and he will fill everyone with thanksgiving because of what he is going to do. And these ordinary people come to see on this extraordinary day the truth that I want us to see this morning, and it's this, that Jesus changes everything. Very simple. I think we know that, but let's see it even more clearly here this morning, that Jesus changes everything. There are some things that, when they're introduced into a society, kind of change everything right? If you think about our society, there's two things that come to my mind that have really changed our culture um, one, the most obvious let's what do you think no internet thank you carolyn i i I didn't plan to ask that out loud, but then I just did at the spur of the moment. So the internet, and I'd also say probably what's in most of our pockets the cell phone. Cell phone and the Internet have really changed our lives in a lot of different ways. They've changed everything, especially when we contemplate the combination of those two things, a phone with the Internet. I mean, that's pretty amazing. What It revolutionizes how we live. Uh, think about some of the things that is that has changed, just little things. The fact that no one wears watches anymore because everyone has a cell phone to look at the time or the amount of information that's available at our fingertips. You don't have any arguments that you can't resolve because Wikipedia always will give you the right answer as to what the, the, the issue is. And for some of you today, it determined whether or not you would actually bring a physical Bible to church or not because you can have the Bible right there on your phone. So the Internet, phones, they, they've, they've changed everything in small great important and mundane they've they've changed everything and in an even more revolutionary way Jesus comes and he changes everything i'm not the first person to say it, but when you think about Jesus he splits history right down the middle doesn't he that that's how we measure time is based on who Jesus was and when he lived Jesus infiltrates and seeps down into all the cracks and the crevices of our lives, and he changes us. At least he should be changing us. And this is true for everyone and everything in life. Jesus changes everything. How does he do this? How does he change everything? He changes it by who he is. And in this passage specifically, Jesus changes everything by uniting and dividing. By doing both. Jesus changes everything by uniting and dividing. And in our passage this morning, I want us to see who Jesus is revealed to be, particularly in the song and then the prophecy of Simeon, and then to see that he is the God-man, he is Jesus, and he is the one who unites and divides. So let's read this passage together. And as we read, just try to take note of who Jesus is revealed to be in this passage. Luke chapter 2, and I'll start in verse 21 and read through 38. It says, And at the end of eight days, when he, speaking of Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was uh, advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Such a great story. Um, a couple of weeks ago we, we looked at some of the details of the story, so we're really going to focus in on the words of Simeon, particularly in this passage as we think about the fact that Jesus changes everything by uniting and dividing. And so first I want us to see that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and in being Je- the Savior of the world, Jesus unites Jesus is the savior of the world he unites now this idea that Jesus is the savior of the world this is a big theme throughout the entire book of Luke it may even be the the main theme in the book of Luke but as we've we've seen that Jesus was prophesied he's he's the one who was prophesied to be the savior but he was not the kind of savior that everyone expected you remember they were expecting this conquering king who would would come and that, that they were waiting for him to to come and set up his kingdom but he comes as a as a suffering servant he doesn't come to set up an earthly kingdom but he comes to destroy sin and to bring the forgiveness of sins and so we see that what we expect is not always what's best or what we Need And so Israel thought that they needed peace from all their earthly enemies, but what they really need was, needed was peace with God, and that's what Jesus came to bring. And here we see he's the Savior of the world through some of the titles that he's given. It says in verse 25, first of all, that he was the consolation of Israel. It talks about Simeon, that this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Isn't that a great phrase, the consolation of Of Israel. The the comfort of Israel might be another way to think about it. The word has the same root, actually, when Jesus talks about sending the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send another comforter. And so the Holy Spirit um, is all over this passage in many ways because he's filling uh, Simeon and even here thinking about this idea of, of comfort, the emphasis on Jesus is coming as the comforter. The, the Messiah was expected to come in the midst of a, a period of, of great grief when things were, were terrible. And and for, for Israel at this moment, while they're under, suffering under Roman rule, it seems like the, the prime moment for Jesus to come and to offer consolation, to offer Comfort to come and to, to conquer all their enemies, and he comes and he brings this salvation that is the true consolation that we need it's the true comfort that we need. Jesus was one that spoke comfort. you think about some of the words that he says as he he says that he's like a a mother hen that wants to gather her her chicks under her arms that's what Jesus is like with israel he wants to to bring salvation to them he's described as um as a he's he's filled, he weeps over his people he weeps over jerusalem he he loves the the infants and the children and he calls them to come to himself and he he is this comforting consolation to israel he's calling all people to come and what he's really seeking to relieve them from is is the pain and the anguish of of sin and death and jesus comes to be the savior to bring salvation in that way so he's the consolation of israel another term that's used is he's the lord's Christ. It's an interesting phrase there at the end of verse twenty six. Simeon's told that he will not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is a reference obviously to, to the Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer. Simeon had been told, you will not die, Simeon, until you see the promised seed of Abraham that is going to come and rescue his people, that's going to come and save his people. This is the one that they've been waiting for for centuries and centuries. And now he is revealed, he's going to be revealed before Simeon's eyes. Just imagine Simeon. Throughout the days, he knows that this is coming. He knows he's going to see the one that everyone has been waiting for. For hundreds of years, they've been waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the Lord's Christ, for the Messiah to come. And Simeon knows he will not die before he sees this one come. It's going to happen in his lifetime. And he's waiting. Imagine the anticipation day after day as he's waiting. I wonder if this is the day that I will see the Lord's Christ. So he is the consolation of Israel. He is the Lord's Christ. Next we see he is God's salvation. He's God's salvation. This is in the song that Simeon sings. Just think, Simeon had been waiting and waiting and waiting, and the day finally came where his expectations would be fulfilled. He walks into the temple. You can picture Simeon going into the temple as he probably did almost every day and he goes in and he says he's filled with the spirit being filled with the spirit he goes into the temple and i'm not sure how he knew i don't know what made it so clear to him but he walks into the temple and it says that when his parents brought in the child jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law he took him up in his arms so Simeon comes i assume that he asked before he you know grabbed jesus uh one of my good friends nate has a tendency. When I read this, I think about him. Anyone who has a child, he just comes and If he hasn't met the child before, he grabs that child and just holds them right away. I think it was from his years as a missionary in Tanzania. And that's kind of what they did. They just grabbed the baby. And so I picture Simeon just kind of running up to Mary and Joseph and saying, can I, can I hold the baby? And they're wondering who is this guy? They've never met him before. And he picks up this child. And then he sings that song in verse 29 through 32, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. And at this point, Mary and Joseph are looking at each other like, what is going on here? For my eyes have seen your salvation, God's salvation. He says, Lord, you can you can take me now. You, I, I'm I'm happy to die because I have seen what you have promised. I've seen your salvation. It has come. I know that you are going to save your people. Jesus is the one who will bring salvation. Even his name means Yahweh is salvation, and that's what he has come to do. In the midst of their distress, Jesus comes to pull us out of the pit of despair, out of sin. Jesus is salvation. Closely tied to this is the term that that Anna uses. So we've got the consolation of Israel, he's the Lord's Christ, he's God's salvation, and then at the end there it says that Anna was talking about the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus is the redemption of Jerusalem. That word redemption was in Zechariah's song that we looked at, and here it's it's one who would come and redeem Israel, who would buy back his people who had been sold into slavery to sin. Now remember, what's the main idea we're talking about? That Jesus unites, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And if you're anything like me, you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, he's the consolation of Israel. He's the Lord's Christ, Messiah. This is a very Jewish thought. He's God's salvation, and he's the redemption of Jerusalem. This sounds doesn't sound like unification, does it? This sounds like for a specific group of people that Jesus has come. And so what's very unique in the song that Simeon sings here? Our verses 31 through 32, let's just read the whole song. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. That's So we should note that, all peoples. Verse 32, he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Isn't that interesting? He's been prepared in the presence of all peoples, and he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That's the, another term we could put down. We could put both those terms down, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, glory for Israel. And so now we see that, that what Jesus is doing is Jesus has come not just to bring salvation for one specific group, but Who? For all peoples, for Gentiles, and and for Jews. Remember, they were waiting for this Messiah, and it seemed like this was the Messiah for for them, for their nation, for the Jewish people. But but Simeon starts singing the song, and he thinks, sings about the revelation of the Gentiles to the Gentiles. Now, what what's unique about this is that this is not what happens in the New Testament. Is we start to see that Jesus has come to save all people. He is the Savior of the world. But it's something that started way back with Abraham. You remember when we were studying Abraham? That, that Abraham was to be the the seed would bless all nations. Everyone was going to be blessed. Everyone would receive the blessing through Abraham. So the Jewish people were to be a light to all nations, and and Jesus now comes as the light to all nations. It, it's it's alluded to in Isaiah. Um, the book of Isaiah is, is filled with images like this. But in Isaiah um, 49, Isaiah writes and he says. Um, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the, preser- the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so Jesus comes and he starts to, to open wide the door of salvation. He says it's not just for the Jewish people. It's, it's for all people. Jesus comes and he, and he unites. He says all may come. All may come and find salvation. How? How? by believing, by, by faith. It's always been by faith. And by faith in Christ, all may come. And so the, the door of salvation is open to Jews and to Gentiles alike. It's open to all people, to all nations. This has implications for us, doesn't it? Are we united together because we're all Filipino? I say that as, as the guy who's not. No, that's not why we're why we united together. Because Jesus has brought salvation for who? For all people. Now, and why do we support foreign missions? Why do we want to see people go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel? Because we don't want to hold it, because Jesus is to be a light for who? For all people, for all nations. He has come as a light of revelation for everyone. And so we are to reflect that in the way that we think about the world, that Jesus has come as a light of revelation, not just for one people group, not just for me, not just for America, not just for Louisville, not just for this church in particular, but for all people. The way of salvation is open for all. This is revolutionary. It unites everyone. There is no distinction. You don't have to be born in a certain group. You don't have to be uh, bred in a certain way. You don't have to have a certain amount of money or certain status in society to be saved. All people are welcome to come to Christ. I, I was in Chicago for uh, Founders Week, which was for my... um my 10-year college reunion, and it's held at, at Moody Church. And we walked up, and there's this sign on the outside of, of Moody Church that I just, I'd never noticed before, but I loved it. It said, the D.L. Moody uh, Memorial Church and Sunday School. And then it says, ever welcome to this house of God are strangers and the poor. And, and that was the heartbeat of Moody's ministry. He said, ever welcome to this house of God are strangers and and the poor would you put that on the outside of your church here's who we would like to come we'd like strangers people that are alienated and the poor to come into our church and even if you put it on the outside of your church is that really who you want to come in what jesus does in inviting all people he starts to cause issues especially in the book of luke because who starts gathering around jesus well the sinners start gathering around jesus and what does he do He welcomes them. He says, why don't you come sit down at my table and let's eat together. Come over. Zacchaeus, who everyone hates. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. As all these other religious people that that look good to society. I'm going to come to your house. Jesus starts talking with with prostitutes, and everyone doesn't know what to do with that. But Jesus says, hey, I came as a light of revelation for all people. There is no distinction, whether ethnically or economically or any other way. Jesus is a light of revelation to all people he is the light of the world he is the savior of the world and he unites all people who will come to him by faith now there's the distinction isn't it it's not that jesus says i offer salvation to everyone i have come to save everyone and that's that's it so everyone's saved but he's what is the condition those who that come and believe and put faith in me if you will come You will admit your sin. If you will repent of sin and you will believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me, that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. If we come and we can say, wasn't that strange when you sang that song and you said that Jesus would die for such a worm as I? That's the first step to salvation is to say, I am a worm. (laughs) I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world for those who come and say, I need a Savior. I need to be saved. I am a sinner. I believe. I put my faith in you. And when he does that, he unites all people. And so we are together as a diverse group of people from all walks of life and ethnicities. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior that unifies us. He comes and he brings us together. But in that unification, you know what else he does? He divides. By unifying he causes division. That's the second thing that that happens here. Before we get to that, just look at an uh, interesting note in the story, verse 33. After Simeon sings this song, his father and his mother, Mary and Joseph, marvel at what was said about him. I, they can't get over what's going on. You think about they saw the shepherds come and and bow down, and now Simeon starts talking about this, and and just they don't know what to. Who is this child that we are, are carrying around here? And then it says that Simeon blesses them. And then he says, particularly to Mary, he says to Mary, looks, you can just almost imagine Simeon locking eyes with Mary. This is a special word for her. And I don't know why that, why Joseph's not included in that. Uh, Joseph, this is the last time that we'll see Joseph uh, here in chapter 2. Uh, most people assume that, that Joseph either maybe he had died or early on, and so he wasn't a part necessarily of much that was going on here. But for whatever reason, Simeon locks eyes with Mary, and he makes this prophecy. This isn't a song. This is a proclamation of what is going to happen. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus is the Savior of the world. He unites. But secondly, Jesus is a stumbling block, a sign that's opposed, and a sword. He divides. He is a stumbling block, a sign that, that is opposed, and he is a sword. He, he divides. Now this prophecy right here is going to be fulfilled in the book of Luke. As Jesus begins his earthly ministry, what does he do? He splits everyone in half. No one can remain neutral about who he is. And some people are so angry with him that they want to throw him off the, the 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 highest point of the temple and kill him. And eventually that gets to that point, doesn't it? That That they hate him so much that they begin to snuff out the light of the world, as we will see in the coming days. Jesus divides. He's, he's a stumbling block. Uh, this is from the Old Testament. We see Jesus is, is, is talked about as a, as a stumbling block, as one who w- people will trip over and those who trip over this stumbling block are, are crushed. That's that phrase. This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. It's, it, it reminds me of, of Mary's song, if you remember that. We looked at Mary's song, and it says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus comes, and he and he brings people down. He he crushes people on this stone. He is a, a stumbling block to people. Do you ever think about Jesus in that way? We, we like to think about him in the manger, as we thought, this little baby that Simeon holds up. And Simeon looks at this baby and he says, This baby is going to unite all people as the Savior of the world. And then he looks at him and he says, And this baby is going to divide everyone. This baby is going to be the cause for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Not everyone is going to love this child. Everyone's rejoicing at his birth now, but the day is going to come when people will not be happy about what he says or about what he does. He's appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. Think about—he is raised up as a as a sign that, to which there is opposition. People do not want anything to do with him. We can think about that in our day and age. That that, that Jesus is opposed. Think about the the symbols and the signs of Christianity. The cross is is often used. It, it's opposed. It's something that people don't want to see. It, it's used as a symbol to to be mocked at times. He's a sign that is opposed, and then verse thirty five, a sword, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also specifically said to Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I can't really wrap my mind around all that's that's going on here. I've struggled with this, but but it's this this picture of of division that Jesus comes and the message that he gives. actually, what's unique about this is that the message that Jesus gives is the message that unites. But in giving that message, he divides. He says, all can come. And in saying all can come, he says, only those that do come and believe are, are in, and then everyone else is divided out. He divides the, the the sheep and the goats. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And everyone is allowed to be with me. There's no distinction about who can come. But if you don't come, then you're against me. And so he creates this this division, you think about the the, the Jews and the Gentiles and, and that whole division that was going on. We read in Acts 13, if you've been reading along with us in our readings, Acts 13, Barnabas and Paul were opposed by, by the Jews to whom they first presented the gospel in Pisidian Antioch. And so they respond by turning to the Gentiles. And in turning the, to the Gentiles, they quote Isaiah nine six, which is what we talked about, that he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles rejoice. They say, The gospel is now open to us. We can come and we can find salvation in Jesus. So what do the Jews do? They get ticked off and they run, uh, they run um, Paul and Barnabas out of town. So the division happens because all people are invited. So he says, everyone can come. And Paul says, we are, uh, we are, we are now going to turn to the Gentiles. And that's what causes the division. I hope that makes sense because I'm still trying to work it out in my mind. But in calling everyone to come, he actually creates the division. In uniting all people under salvation for those who believe, he actually separates some out. Whoever is not with me is against me. And I think this sword here, many people say that the sword refers to the sword that would pierce Mary's soul in the death of Jesus. But I think in context here, what might be better to say is that Mary's got to make a decision too. Mary, you have to decide who this child is. Jesus says a lot of, a lot of things that would pierce a mother's heart in his ministry. And just in the book of, of Luke, we see this. In Luke eight, twenty-one, listen to what Jesus says. As he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. What does Jesus say? But he answered that my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Can you imagine being Jesus' mother and, and hearing that? I think that would be hard to hear. Mary's got to make a decision, just as everyone else does. What are you going to do with your son, with Jesus? Chapter 11, verse 27. And he said these things. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He doesn't affirm that blessing. He says, no, actually, the people that are really blessed are those that listen to what I say. Can you imagine being Mary and knowing that that's what Jesus had said? And then this this passage here has always struck me as powerful. In in Luke 12, verse 51, Jesus says this. He says, do you think that I've come to, bring, to give peace on earth? Think about that question that Jesus asked. If you're in the crowd, Jesus says, do you think that I came to bring, bring peace on earth? What would you say? I would say yes. I, that's what the angel said. <laughs> peace on earth, good will to men. Isn't that what you came to do, Jesus? Yes, came to bring peace on earth. But what does he say? Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. I came to bring a sword. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law you see what jesus is saying he's saying i change everything if, if you if you come to me if you believe in me i will bring a sword into your house i will bring division into your house because you can't follow me and not have it change everything and so houses some of us know this deeply a house that is divided because the sword has come, and Jesus has come, and Jesus is that sword that has brought the division. And and we are set at opposition because he has come. And he has said, if you are not with me, then you are against me. Now, the division, remember, it, it's not rooted in ethnicity. It's not rooted in some outward distinction. It's based upon belief. Those who believe are with him, and those who are not are against him. And in uniting all people as the Savior of the world, he ends up, he purposely excludes some who are not. He is a sword. He is a stumbling block. He is a sign that is opposed. So what do we do? What do we do with this? My hope is to give you just a big picture of who Jesus is. He has come as the Savior of the world, and he says, Whosoever will... Come, come and receive salvation. Everyone is invited, all people, all nations. I am a light to the whole world. If you come and you put your faith in me, then you will be saved. But in doing that, he also says, and if you don't, then you are against me. Then you are opposed, and I will bring a sword. I will bring a stumbling block. I will bring a sign. And that's what our world is. It is Jesus comes, and he creates division. Jesus comes into our lives, and this is what he should do. Jesus is not something that we add to the sum total of our lives. Jesus is someone that comes and changes everything. He's not a piece of the pie of our lives. He, he takes over. He is the whole pie. He is your life. He revolutionizes everything. And I think as we think about Jesus and as we present Jesus to people, we need to recognize that this is who he said he is. Sometimes we want to make Jesus so palatable that everyone will accept him. He's the Savior of the world. Come to Jesus. And everyone says, well, that sounds great. I'll come to Jesus. And so we, we, we dull down his teaching so much that everyone loves Jesus. But in Jesus' life, not everyone loved Jesus. They hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. And if we present the gospel the way that it's presented in Scripture, this is what will happen. We need to recognize that, I think. I think sometimes we we get disheartened. We think, well, people are rejecting Jesus. They're not listening to the truth of the gospel. Yeah, because it's, it's offensive. It's offensive to say, hey, in order to come to Jesus, you have to say, I'm a worm and I am a sinner. If you come to Jesus, what we're saying is he is the only way. There is no other way of salvation except through him. Andrew and I were watching a show on television, and it was it, it, they were having a religious discussion. And the man that was vilified was the guy that was dogmatic that there was only one way. And everyone else said, well, what about the people here in India? What about the people who have a different set of beliefs? And we said, we love them. We, the the gospel is open to all nations. That's why we send missionaries to go out. But that is not something that's looked on kindly in our society. It, it's something that creates division. You're saying Jesus is the only way? Yeah, it's, what we're saying why because that's what he said and he says very clearly i came to be a stumbling block came to bring a sword so as we present the gospel we need to be clear we need to be loving it's not our job to be offensive but to know that the gospel is an offense that the gospel creates division. and my other hope is that as we think about this that maybe there's some that say you know I, 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 you, you've seen jesus as the as the savior of the world but j- he hasn't broken in and, and, and you've seen that he creates this division. He's calling not just for you to say, yeah, I like Jesus. Jesus is, is on my team, but he says, I come and I change everything. I revolutionize your entire life. If you will come and you will repent of your sins, I will, I will change it all. It's not something that we do just on Sundays or that we just add as part of our week, but rather Jesus comes and changes everything. So we have to be, um, Recognize that we cannot remain neutral about who Jesus is. So Jesus is the Savior of the world. He unites. He calls all people of everyone, anywhere to come. calls all ethnicities, all socioeconomic groups. He calls the strangers and the poor. He calls those who have lived lives of sin, the old and the young. He calls everyone. He says all are welcome to come. I am the Savior of the world. But he also divides. He says, I I didn't come just to bring peace. I also came to bring a sword. And that is the reality of what we live in, that this is who Jesus is said to be. I think this is something to continue to meditate on. I, I do not think in the words that I've said this morning that I've exhausted this or even been completely clear in it. So I would encourage you to continue to read Simeon's song and then his prophecy and to see a full picture of who Jesus is. Um, But let me close us in in prayer and then we will uh, sing a song. Father, your word is much more powerful than mine and I feel that very much right now. Help us, Lord, apply these things into our hearts. Help us to be bold in our proclamation of you, unashamed. But we believe that you are a loving, gracious God. Lord, you have sent your only Son into the world to offer salvation, and he offers it at the cost of his very life. Lord, we know your great love, Lord, that you desire that all would come to salvation. But we also know that, Lord, there are some who will not, because of this world system that we live in, there are people that will oppose you. And you have said that that will happen. Help us to be sober about that, to realize that that is true. And Lord, help us to present you in such a way that makes that clear. Lord, that salvation is not something simple that we just kind of do in a moment and then it never affects anything else. But rather, Lord, that if we truly are your followers, that we will be changed to the core. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you or knows you in a superficial way that has not changed everything in their lives, Lord, that they would come to see what you have done on the cross and paying the penalty for our sins so that you can offer forgiveness and make us your children. Lord, thank you for your word and continue to let it sink into our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.